Hutchins Podcast. Welcome back to Hutchins Podcast. Today's episode is the opening of a series on 2023 course choices. And we're going to be speaking to Mr. Bonnicher, who is the Career Education and Vocational Learning Officer, Mr. Seddon, who's the Dean of Learning and Analytics, all the heads of faculty who will be talking about their respective subjects and what's right for different people. Let's roll the first interview with Mr. Bonnicher. Hutchins Podcast. So we're here now with Mr. Bonnicher, who's the Careers Educational and Vocation Vocational Learning Officer. Is that is that right there, Mr. Bonnicher? That is correct, yes. <laughs> Quite a mouthful. Yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Quite the spiel. Now, we're going to ask Mr. Bonnicher some, some important questions to help everyone uh, in choosing their subjects for 2023. Now, we're going to try and make these questions um, open to everyone, but it does have a little bit of a senior school theme. So just to start off, how would you go about selecting my subjects if I was in grade eight or nine? This is a very sort of open question, I know. Just something broad. I, I would go with broad in eight and nine. It's an opportunity for you to start to explore things that may be of interest and take a few chances. Um, <laughs> Don't necessarily follow your friends, follow your heart into things that you would say, well, where might this lead me? Yeah, so that sounds really important for those people to keep their options open and not go, oh, yeah, I want to do this subject five years down the line and end up like end up in a corner that you don't want to do it anymore. Correct. I think there is that real opportunity when you're a bit younger just to take a few chances and maybe step out of your comfort zone, do some performance do some singing, do other things that might not you might not be doing. And if you're doing those, maybe try some woodwork or some other things that might be on your mind. So I guess the takeaway is don't lock yourself in too early. Is that right? Keep it broad. Yep, definitely. Don't, don't go overthinking that if you do something now in year eight or nine that you'll get to later years and somehow that's going to exclude you from other, other, other options. Now, I think most importantly, and for Archie and I in particular, <laughs> we're both in grade 10, how would you say that we should go about selecting our subjects for year 11 as well as year 12? Exactly that, Josh. I would be saying you need to look at it as a two-year program and you're looking ideally to build from 11 into 12. And you really should have an eye to what you're thinking you might like to do in a tertiary type pathway. Now, whether that is university or whether it's potentially some vocational education and training into a trade or uh, an associated work area, having a little bit of a thought in process around that's important. Uh, there are ways that you can look to try and keep your options open again, but knowing what you're trying to structure towards does, is helpful and it certainly is helpful for students to sort of have a goal in mind. Yeah, it sounds really good. So now my parents are from from interstate and they're not um, familiar with the Tasmanian system. Could you please um, could you please describe the, how the Tasmanian system works through 11 and 12 and how it's a really pathway and it's like a two-year system, really, instead of just one? So when, when we're starting to talk about ATAR in particular, so which is a national, which is a national ranking system into universities, in the, in the Tasmanian context, that's consisting of your ATAR coming from five TASC-3 subjects. So TASC being the local state authority. All, all colleges, um, so in 11 and 12, all colleges will offer TASC subjects, which you can take ATAR points from your TASC-3 subjects. Um, and you'd score from two in year 11 and you would score from a minimum of three in year 12. So potentially it could be one from 11 and four from 12, um, but looking, and, and TASC will go through and, and select according to those criteria, uh, your highest scoring five, which will then uh, be 
converted into an ATAR score. Now, you are, you've actually just touched on directly where I'm wanting to go. Can you just give me a very brief summary on TCE? So in my experience, there's there can be crossover and confusion between talking TCE and ATAR around requirements. So the TCE is what I would describe and what our state government is aiming as really the minimum standard for a student completing year 12 to achieve. Based on that, you need an, uh, an English tick, so a literacy tick, a numeracy tick, an ICT tick, and 120 TCE points. Now, either a task two or a task three will accumulate 15 TCE points upon completion of a PA score or higher. Now the PA, so a PA score within the grading system at a task level really sits um, as a preliminary achievement. So it's just, just a passing grade. To receive the ticks though, so to get you would also need to achieve at an SA level, which is the next level up. So you can score points at a PA level, but to achieve the ticks from your English and Maths, you would need them at an SA level. So in year 11, you would do five subjects, unless you were doing four task threes, and then you would, uh, by doing four task threes, the school would then grant you a private study line. And from that, you would score 60 for argument's sake, or 75 TCE points at a PA level or higher, hopefully getting your ticks from your English and your maths by getting the SA in those subjects. And then in year 12, you'd look to do four additional subjects where you'd score additional 60 points, which would give you the 120 or the 135. In amongst that, you might have done some VET subjects. Now, a VET subject will score higher TCE points than a task subject, and that is representative of the workload that sits within VET subjects. Could you please briefly explain for the listeners what a VET subject is? They might not, might not be familiar with the term. So VET stands for Vocational Education and Training, and it is designed as an adult learning framework. So VET sits within, and most commonly people would talk about a registered training organisation, and they'd recognise TAS TAFE as being that organisation in our state, and TAFEs around the country for that matter. In the context of Tasmania, there are other RTOs, like Seafood Maritime Training, who we partner with. We've partnered with UAV Air for a drone course, for example. Uh, we're partnering with TASB Gas for a construction industry skill set course. So those, those courses are really designed to take people on pathways to directly to employment. So uh, the construction industry skill set, for example, has taken units from a certificate two in construction and those students uh, would be looking to go down a building or plumbing or similar construction industry apprenticeship pathway. The drone course, for example, uh, at a certificate three level is the, st the standard that you would need to operate a drone in a commercial situation and it also comes uh, with CASA licences. So these qualifications are really designed to align to a specific area of employment. Do VET courses give me an ATAR or is that completely different? Completely different, okay. I'm afraid, Josh. No, yep. no ATAR, yep. but you will find that universities will have VET qualification levels and see them as being sufficient to enter certain university courses. But again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, I see. Now, you briefly touched on just there having, you could do uh, five subjects in grade 11 and four in grade 12. You said you could do four task three subjects in grade 11 and then four additional subjects in grade 12. Would you be suggesting to do four task threes or is that unlikely? 
So there are lots of variables here. So the, that, that structure of five and four is, is really, I, I would not say that is a set structure. And okay. I think we really need to look at this within the context of, of each student as an individual yep. and what might suit them and their needs. So I, I certainly wouldn't be advocating that we would be going necessarily four task threes and, and then four task threes in year 12. Okay. Um, I think it's really on an individual basis and we'd need to carefully consider that to make sure that, um, you know, that, that people are being supported and are, and are well equipped for the journey they're on. Okay, so it's not a set module? Certainly not, no. Certainly um, people, people have this ability um, to really start to think about how they might like to tailor their education experience to suit their needs. And VET, VET also, um, I suppose, as an example of that, does provide the ability for students to do an Australian school-based apprenticeship where they may be within the school environment for argument's sake in year 11 for three days a week, uh, picking up their numeracy and literacy ticks towards their TCE. Um, and they would spend two days in a workplace uh, on an apprenticeship pathway. Mm -hmm. And then in year 12, you would find that they would often spend three days in the uh, in the workplace uh, completing an apprenticeship uh, or, or on the way to completion of an apprenticeship, pick up some additional subjects within the school environment, stay connected to the social and sporting and extracurricular and, and other subject areas uh, while they're doing that. And then at the end of year 12, move full time into that apprenticeship for completion. That sounds like a great pathway for people who want to go that way. I've got another question for you. Um, lots of university asks for um, prerequisite subjects depending on where you want it, where you want to go and what course it is. Could you please describe what some of these prerequisites are and where you might want to go with different subjects? As a rule of thumb, the, what, the areas to really look at are your science, maths and English. So you'll find that um, the majority of prerequisites sit within that area and that's for courses such as engineering, medicine, and some of the sciences, but you'll also find some of the finance degrees will also have a maths requirement, um, or commerce degrees will have a maths requirement, and often the interstate universities will have an English requirement. So to keep your options as broad as possible, you would be looking to, to keep that maths working, and it's really uh, the, the prerequisite you'll tend to find sits around a math methods in the maths area, it sits around a task three English across any of those three Englishes. And science is really, it's a chemistry or a physics. Now to get to chemistry and physics in year 12, you would need to do physical sciences in year 11. Are there, now you've just jumped into it with prereqs with universities. Are there many subjects with prereqs for grades 12? For grade 12, it really is the chemistry and the physics, okay. which would require you to have done physical science. That's really only the science areas. Well, having well, in all fairness, there are progression subjects like art production will lead on to art studio practice, for for example. Okay. So, so you've got the ability to progress through a chain of subjects mm -hmm. in those creative spaces. Yeah. And also you've got the ability in the music area to move into some university type courses yeah. and potentially in other areas. So I'd be reluctant to say that in this podcast we'll get through the entirety of the pathways <laughs> that are no, open. Of course. Yes. Yeah. And I think it potentially would become confusing to try and do so. Definitely. I'd, I'd probably be saying what what's hopefully been provided is an understanding that there are a multitude of pathways and that students 
should really look to have those bespoke conversations with with people uh, such as myself, but mm-hmm. also teachers, mm-hmm. yeah, who are subject matter experts across their areas, a- and other people. Okay, well that that's uh, that's great to hear. We have heads of faculty coming in as well during this series, so stay tuned for more uh, heads of faculty to come in. And to our final question: um, How can students and parents get in touch with you to discuss potential pathways? So my email address is pbo at hutchins.tas.edu.au but also you can contact me uh, via the school um, contacts on our school website. There is a phone number though look email unless it's really urgent is probably the way to do it um, as I'm in and out of the office space and uh, playing phone tag is a a (laughs) bit frustrating for everybody. Now, and I know finally, actually I've got two quick things to say. If I have a certain subject that I want to do and I know that it isn't going to get me certain points or anything isn't going to help me in the long run, but I am genuinely interested in that subject, should I be listening to my gut in picking that subject or should it just be a complete write-off? So there is that concept of an opportunity cost of the real thing that you get is what you go without and you'd need to be careful that the subject that you were talking about uh, is not pushing something else off that might be more beneficial to that pathway that you might have identified. However, I'd say that is rarely the case. And having something that you are doing because it speaks to you is, I think, a really valuable thing. Um, The concept of careers is that it is everything that we do. And the idea that we are purely driven by an academic or a monetary or an achievement purpose I think is contrary to to where we see education sitting and it is about having those opportunities to extend, develop and stretch yourself in areas that you might just feel speak to you for other reasons. Now finally, and I know the course handbook is a very key uh, element in um, working out your subjects for 11 and 12 as well as years below, where can we find that? So that's on the school website. If you look under the heading of uh, learning and you can drop down and the course handbooks will be there. Uh, If you have any difficulties finding it, by all means send me an email. more than happy to send the link through. Um, Really recommend that as a great spot to start um, and and look at. There's some nice little schematic flowcharts on there that create a nice visual representation of how you might look at the two years of of particularly 11 and 12. Um, You've also got the younger year handbooks on there as well, so um, and indicated accordingly. Um, And additionally, I suppose, the the opportunities to get that information in a written format, looking at what's the content, what are the assessment types, um, starting to think about that in in the course of a program that you might be building over those years. Yeah, so the course handbook is an absolutely key essential. It it certainly is, but there will be other opportunities. so the school will operate um, subject selection uh, sessions for students. There's the opportunity, obviously, to speak to teachers within classes. There's also, obviously, speaking to peers mm. um, and, and sort of observing and talking to them about subjects that you might be interested in. But uh, the advice there is always to stay within that objective realm of what's the content, how's it structured, when it, what are the assessments like, and starting to really look at it from that sort of a, uh, more objective uh, viewpoint. Now, I hear there's a subject fair where students can go and teach, talk to the um, teachers that teach the subjects and really gain more information about the subjects. Can you tell us more about that fair, Mr Bonnetra? 
the dates uh, should be in the on the school calendar, and they, basically we're in a process now where today speaking to students, it's just about creating an awareness. And as you move towards the end of this term, there'll be opportunities for you to start to do some investigations. A process will happen whereby you. Uh, your parents or the parents listening to this should receive an email from the school where you'd go through select subjects at which stage teachers will get to review that and be able to provide their feedback and guidance around whether those are wise choices and and, and uh, choices that I suppose are, are evidenced. From there there'll be a bit more of a review through Mr Seddon and myself where we'd talk to you and maybe discuss any potential changes and also make sure that we are aligning those to what you might have identified as future career pathways. So there's a few uh, checks and balances along the way. Obviously, the more um, the more that a person owns that journey, the more that they step into that space and, and start to make some considered choices, the, the better the process and the better the outcomes um, throughout the next couple of years. Mr Bonnich, our Career Educational and Vocation Learning Officer, thank you so much for coming in today. It, Thank you for the opportunity. Right up next, we've got Mr. Seddon, Dean of Learning Analytics. Hutchins Podcast. We are now joined with Mr. Seddon, Dean of Studies and Learning Analytics. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me along. Thank you so much for coming along. I know it's been a bit of an effort getting all of our teachers on board. We've got plenty over the next few weeks, so thank you for making the time. No, it's an important topic. Now, question one, from, from your opinion, how should I pick my subjects? Look, it's a really good question. I think when picking your subjects... Josh, you need to consider your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, if you're particularly good in a s- certain subject area, then you should really go and have a crack at that subject in year 11 and 12. Um, but if it's a subject that you're really struggling with, then you need to take advice from your teachers as to whether you should continue down that path or if maybe you should try a course that isn't quite as complex and spend two years doing that particular subject. Yeah, so you're just thinking about the whole big picture over the two years and making sure you have a proper progression through through year 11s and 12s. Archie, I think that's a really good point. Um, I'd really encourage you to plan out the two years. When you go to do your subject selections, if you're going only to year 11 next year, then you should plan out what you want to do in year 11 and then what you want to do in year 12. Um, and that may actually help you sometimes to plan out year 12 first and then come back to year 11 and and fill that with the subjects that you haven't done or the ones that you know that you're going to need to have for what's happening in year 12. Yeah, I think that's a really important point just to think about the the end point and then work backwards from there. Yeah, if if you've got certain prerequisites that you have to do for university, um, let's take chemistry as an example. If you have to have chemistry to get into university, then you have to take chem in year 12, which means you have to do physical sciences in year 11. And so if you don't plan that that out over the two years and you don't do the physical sciences, you're in a bad position before you even start. Yeah, a bit stuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think we're just touching on it right now. What would be your key Uh, message in choosing subjects? My key message in choosing subjects is to ignore the score the subject earned in the previous year. So year 11 and 12 subjects uh, given a score based on your final result. And I wouldn't pick your subjects for 2023 or 2024 based on that score. Um, I would pick the subjects that you need for your career pathway um, or that you need for uni entrance or the subjects that interest you I wouldn't pick subjects because it scores well. You need to have a passion for doing the subject. Having a high score isn't enough to interest people. Is it correct that scores uh, vary each year? Yeah, so scores are 
uh, scaled every single year. And so scaling is an interesting process that TASC undertakes. Um, in fact, all the states undertake it. And what happens in scaling is it provides a way for every course's complexity to be compared against other courses. And so in any given year, that can change depending on the cohort of students around the state that do those subjects. So if one subject comes out particularly easy in 2022, then that subject may be scaled down based on how students go. Um, the largest change that we've seen was quite some time ago now, but there was a subject called student-directed inquiry uh, that we don't uh, offer at Hutchins anymore, but it scored 21 one year, and then the next year it was scaled down to uh, 17, and so there was a huge drop, and there were a lot of students that did it because they thought it was going to score well for them, and then they got a te- they didn't get a good score out of it, and um, that caused a lot of problems for them. Yeah, so it just it's a way of measuring the effort that's required for a subject, and it just depends on... This is what I'm just saying, what I've taken yeah. from you. It just depends on how well students do in that given year, really. It, it can, and but it's not just limited to Hutchins or our cooperating schools. It's across the entire state. Um, and, I, and I don't think it'd be fair to say that scaling is effort-based. It is purely done on a statistical measure using the grades that are obtained. Mm-hmm. So the effort that is put in across a range of subjects, I, I just don't think it'd be fair to compare what you put into a folio subject um, or a subject that you have to produce work in, such as computer graphics and design or art, to compare it to the output from, say, a maths or science course. Okay. Um, okay. So it's purely based on your grades. Okay. Now, I think a lot of people don't recognise that you, you know, you sort everyone's subjects and, you know, make subjects actually viable here. How do our subject lines work? Okay, so the Hutchins subject lines, and indeed the collegiate and fan ones as well, mm. are all based on student choice. Okay. So you will all be given access to your subject selections as you are every single year. And then we'll look at the number of students that have preference courses and the school decides what is viable to run as a course. Um, We'll then put any constraints in. And um, by constraints, I mean, it may be that we're teaching tiddlywinks and the tiddlywinks teacher is also the basket weaving teacher. Um, And so those two subjects couldn't be on the same lines together because we have no one else that can teach those two subjects. And so they're the constraints that are built in, but the lines are purely um, sorted based on student preference and student choice, and I will put them into the best possible spot to service the largest number of students. And then the li- I'm assuming the lines are combined with Collegiate and Fan, our cooperating schools, to allow more people to do what they chose, I guess? Well, that's that's... That's the idea. So I actually do the lines at 11 and 12 for Collegiate and Farn as well. And so they give me their constraints and the choices. And I build the timetable lines around that idea. So for Collegiate and Farn, the lines are created for what's best for the students at those schools. And at Hutchins, what's best for us. Because the cooperating schools model bases the student selections on staying at your home school first and then going out if you need to. So once each school has its set of lines and they're all combined in, it's all combined in together in one um, program, then I try and assign students to cooperating classes where they haven't been able to get all of their choices, or they may have one of their Hutchins choices, but I'll send them out to Collegiate or Farn so that I can get them into one of their other choices at Hutchins. So the whole aim for me is to get as many people as possible into the subjects that they wanted. Yeah, so it sounds like you're trying to make it so everyone can do what they want, but that means are are reserves redundant or are they still really important? No, so reserves really aren't redundant. Um, 
it may be that you've selected a course that doesn't run in any given year, and so your reserve choice becomes really, really important. Or it may be that um, a particular course, and we do have some courses that are size limited, and so if we've got 20 people for a course of 18, I will give preference to people who put it as preference one, but Archie, say you put um, basket weaving as your fourth choice mm -hmm. and it's got a size limit of 18, then you would probably drop out of it and I would have to go to one of your reserve choices to fit your lines. Okay. There's always that opportunity for you to go and change afterwards um, and you'll get the lines and you go, oh, gee, I really don't want to do my reserve choice now. But at least if you give me an accurate reserve choice, I can try and give you what you want. And then base the lines around that as well. That's it, yeah. So that, that will help with determining where the lines are. So if you put in a reserve choice and say you really want to do tiddlywinks but you have no intention of doing it and you hate it as a subject, um, then really don't put it as a reserve. That makes sense. <laughs> now, it sounds like that essentially the work that you do is a massive jigsaw puzzle. Is that fair to say? Uh, it, it is a fairly large jigsaw puzzle um, and I'd like to try and make as many people as happy with <laughs> the outcome as possible. I see. The picture doesn't always come out perfectly. Okay, okay. Now, as students, you know, we, we want the subjects that we choose, obviously, but it's also pretty important for teachers as well. How, how do teachers go? Do they get to choose which subjects they want to teach next year or do, do you sort of say, you teach in this department, these are the subjects that are going to work? No, so each, each department obviously has a head of faculty yeah. and um, I work closely with the head of faculty when we come to what we're running and who's going to teach what. Um, and so it's definitely not um, me choosing who, who does what. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's very much the heads of faculty will come and say, uh, so for example, in 2022, I've got the physics class, so the head of science said, well, Mr. Seddon's going to take the physics class. Okay. And so then I put that into place and we do that with all our courses across the school. Okay. And then is that also then, because you said you do the collegiate and fun co-op classes, is that the same with them as well? They tell you which teachers are going to do what and then you sort them into that? That's exactly it. So fun and collegiate will say we've got these teachers teaching these subjects mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that will mean that I have to keep certain subjects off certain lines because I can't let them clash because yeah. there are some teachers that teach more than one um, 11 and 12 subject. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So you get the names, you get their job titles, and then you pretty much slap them together with the classes. Hopefully, and we place them into <laughs> where they can take those Sorry, those I, I'm courses. really simplifying it down here. <laughs> no, that's okay. And I guess the question that everybody ha is wondering and always asks and probably asks you, how is the ATAR calculated? Yeah, so the ATAR is a really interesting number. To give you a really, rather than going to huge detail to give you a really quick way of explaining yeah, thank it. Thank you. From the five pre-tertiary subjects that you use to calculate your final score, um, a minimum of three have to come from year 12. And so you can have two from year 11, um, or you could ha just have more from year 12. But from those five, you're awarded a TE score. And the TE score is the scaled score. And that can go to a maximum of 130 points from the top, off the top of my head. Okay. Once you've got those points, all the students in the state are lined up based on their scores um, and then they put a bell curve over the top as a standard distribution uh, to find the ATAR percentage. And that's why the ATAR goes up to 99.95 and it doesn't go higher. And so your ATAR is calculated off that. So you may get a TE score of 122 and then that will be calculated into your ATAR. But what I'll do is I'll provide a copy of a document understanding the ATAR that you can put a link to in the show notes. 
Yeah, awesome. Um, thanks for being on the podcast. That was Mr. Seddon, Dean of Studies and Learning Analytics. Thanks for coming in. This was Hutchins Podcast. Thanks for having me, Archie and Josh. You've been listening to the 2023 Course Choices Podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this series or any other Hutchins podcast, just go to hutchins.tas.edu.au forward slash podcast or just search Hutchins Podcast in your favourite podcast streaming app. Thanks for listening.